is Coach Shaw with Coach for Christ. I guess word time would be what we used, or what Coach Shelby's always called it, but in our sermons uh, portion of Coach for Christ, World Ministries, um, I'm coming back to you with Religious Spirits Part 3. I want to go ahead and just forewarn you, I'm in my new house. Uh, I'm working on trying to add video to this so I can show you an excerpt from a clip that I wanted to show you. Um, uh, so we'll see how it goes. Who knows how it goes? I might mess up it anyway. But this is Religious Spirits Part 3. If you haven't listened to Religious Spirits Part 1 or 2, um, you need to go back on Anchor, listen to Religious Spirits Part 1, and then Part 2 is on Facebook and YouTube. Um, now, I'm not going live right now. I'm going to have to do that next week because I hadn't figured out how to go live and add a video to, to show you as well. So Coach Shelby has been talking a lot of trash because he is the patriarch of all this, and uh, he has over 700, I'm just kidding, he hasn't really been talking trash, I've more been building him up, um, but he has like 700 views going live and doing it the way he did it, so I'm just hoping to get like 200, and I'll be good, because I know uh, if I can just be uh, told like I'm Timothy to his Paul, I'll be okay with something like that, so I'm just trying to give out a word that's been given to me, and this one is, I've written a lot more notes in here, so bear with me, please, as I go through it. Um, we're out of Matthew 23. Uh, we're going to go over verses 13 through 22 as a part of part three today. Uh, and I'm just going to recap part um, one and two real quick um, with uh, Matthew 23, verses one through 12. Okay, so the in part one, we went over verses one through four, where basically Jesus is saying, look, the Pharisees, they sit in Moses' seat, which is the seat of honor in the temple. So what they say that they're doing, what they say to do, you should do as long as it lines up with Scripture, but don't do according to their works because they're not, they themselves, the Pharisees, don't, are pretty are hypocrites. And we're going to get into that here in a minute um, about how Jesus uh, called out the Pharisees very plainly and boldly. Um, he's saying to do what is written in Scripture and not what the Pharisees do themselves, because in, in verse 4, they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers, okay? And they, they'll put out all this stuff, and there's the whole point in this religious spirit um, series is to point out that we still have those plenty of religious spirits uh, nowadays in the church, and obviously outside of the church, um, those who, who say they're religious or spiritual but don't do anything about it. Um, and, you know, one of the things that I said in the last couple is we read these passages like in Matthew 23 and we sit there and see what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees. And I know we all sit there and at times and we're like, we wouldn't do that. We, we know better, da, da, da. We would do the same thing. And, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, that's what this series is about. Because 90% of our church, if not more, if not higher, the American church, the worldly church is just like these Pharisees who think that they're good to go and good with God because of what they do and the works that they have, but really they're not um, accomplishing a whole lot. Um, and, in, and in part two, I'll just kind of go through it right quick. In verses 5 through 12, uh, all their works they, they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad. We talked about the phylacteries on the forehead, on the arm, um, a show of, of their faith, a show of their how religious, how spiritual they are. Uh, they love the best place at feasts, the best seats in the synagogues. They like to be called a rabbi, teacher, father. Uh, we, we went over that about how we're not supposed to call anyone father. That's not our actual dad, aside from God. 
and uh, not to be called teacher. And, and in verse 12, it ends with whoever exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And, you know, that's kind of a good key verse for the first two parts of this is verse 12, because we've all dealt with humility um, poorly, most likely. I know I have uh, myself and um, we just have to, we have to work. Sorry, I'm getting text messages from coach Shelby. So I'll be sure and point that out later. Um, we, we all need to be humbled, all right? There's no doubt. If you don't think you do, that's the very essence of why you need to. Um, so uh, moving into that, we're going to start with uh, verse 13. And before I go into that, I wanted to make two main points here because I wanted to get this across. And Coach Shelby, if you hadn't listened to his latest message called Run, uh, he did it um, on Saturday, so two days ago. Go back, check it out. It's on uh, Coach for Christ's Facebook. It's also on YouTube. Very good uh, sermon, and it's a, one, it's a short one. Uh, it's like, um, I think it was 47 minutes or maybe 41 minutes, I don't know, so shorter than some of the ones we've done. But he, he referenced to some of this, and I wanted to get, get this point across real good. There's so many in the church nowadays, you know, because we're going to get into verses 13 through 22 here. He starts, and it's what's, what's commonly known as the seven woes, and there's really eight woes. And it's not woe like, oh, woe. It's not like how we do nowadays. It's woe as in you're condemned, you're headed to hell type of woe. That's how that word was used back then. I could go into all the Greek and what uh, the, the term and all that stuff, but I'm not going to do that because I'm, I'm going to try to be shorter than I've been. Um, but it was a term that was really, uh, it was like a, you're, you're going to hell. You're condemned. There's nothing you can do about this. And Jesus really attacked these Pharisees in this way, and, and, and the common misconception I think we have with the church is that Jesus was this docile, lamb-like creature who just was nice to everyone all the time, and I'm not saying he wasn't, probably 90% of the time he was, but he spoke truth. He wasn't tolerant of sin. He wasn't tolerant and wasn't unjudgmental, okay? And these are the two points I wanted to go into before I start, um, because there's so many people that say Jesus was tolerant, he was so kind, he never... Uh, uh, yelled at anyone. He never got angry, which is a joke, and that's what I'm going to get into today. Uh, I've been accused myself of being, uh, you know, being angry in for, in certain manner about certain things, and I feel like it was a righteous, jealous, proper jealous type of anger, and I get accused. Well, would Jesus have done that? And well, yes, he would. And here's proof. You know, there's so many people that don't read the Bible. And don't really understand Jesus spoke truth. And and we we should understand that in a sense nowadays because when we speak truth to people, we offend people. Okay? And and it shouldn't it's not really that I offend them, it's that they're offended by what I say because they know it's right, because they know it's the truth. Okay? And there's so much to that. So a question, uh, and I watched a video about this from an apologetic uh, uh, guy named Dr. Frank Turek, and, and it's talking about how Jesus was never... People say Jesus was never intolerant or angry. Well, and I'm going to show a video here in a second that really disproves that, but I'm going to read a couple of verses to you. In John 2, 13 through 15, Jesus is cleansing the temple. And uh, in verse 13, I'll start. It says, Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went to Jerusalem, and he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. When he had made a whip of cords... He drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. Now, I don't know about you, but in verse 15 when it says he had made a whip of cords, 
Uh, we all know what a whip is used for. Uh, and our Lord Jesus Christ used this whip. This is uh, spoken of in the Gospel of John. Used this whip to run the money changers out, okay? And what I want to do is uh, share a little uh, portion here of a short, it's a short video just to kind of get the point across here, okay? If you'll just bear with me for a second. Now, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say that's exactly what happened. I don't know. Um, but that's a good excerpt if you just read the scripture when he, he, he gets the whip of cords and he drives, he says he drove them out of the temple. You tell me how you would drive people, oxen, sheep, and, and the money changers, how you would drive them out of a temple with a whip unless it was something similar to that. Now, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to say that's exactly how it happened. I'm not trying to blaspheme God because I wasn't there and I don't know. But all you got to do is think about it a little bit. And this scripture right here, John 2, 13 through 15, it really exemplifies Jesus being angry. And in, in, on the video, the reason I like that video, because there's other ones that you could find. The reason I like that one so much is it really corners in on Jesus' eyes. It, it was proven Jesus was angry at times. There's other scripture where it, where it calls it out plainly that he was angry with them, okay? And the thing is, people that say Jesus wasn't tolerant. Obviously, he wasn't tolerant of this sin. The temple was supposed to be a house of prayer, okay? And think about going to the temple to pray and hearing all... It, it's, it's like being in Walmart. Could you really go and pray in solitude 
in the temple, if it was like Walmart, on t- I guess it's worse than Walmart. It'd be like a like a bazaar or something where there's goats and sheep bleeding. I don't know if a goat or sheep, which one bleats, but um, anyway, you get the point. Is what I'm making. Uh, he and he and he. It says he drove them out in verse 15. You tell me how you drive someone out calmly, peacefully. Okay, and that's the thing people don't. I think they per, have perverted, and it goes into when we when we start in verse 13. They perverted the gospel and Jesus and and who he was so much that he is this docile creature that just, and I keep saying creature, this docile being, this docile human, docile God, that just, you know, he he went to slaughter, uh, and it talks about in Isaiah, I think it's Isaiah 53, he was led to slaughter, he didn't say anything, he didn't fight back. Jesus was a fighter. Jesus spoke truth, okay, and Jesus called things out. He wasn't, nowadays, he would not have gone along with political correctness. He wouldn't have gone on with homosexuality or any kind of sexual sin. He wouldn't have gone on with the abortion with the bathroom uh, gender stuff. He wouldn't have gone on with that. He would have called it out for what it is. And so many people have this false misconception of who Jesus is, and they're going to be in real bad shape uh, leading into my next verse uh, because he was docile in that sense with compared to what he's going to be when he comes back, okay? And in Revelation 19, verses 11 through 16, this is Jesus' second, second coming, now I saw, this is uh, the Apostle John in Patmos, he's writing this. Now I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and who sat on him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. Makes war. He judges in righteousness and makes war. Okay? You don't think you can have a righteous war. Well, there it is in verse 11. Verse 12, his eyes were like a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. With it he should strike the nations. Again, double-edged sword. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Okay, so if you're one of those who thinks of Jesus in your mind when he was on earth as this docile person that wasn't tough, that wasn't, uh, you know, he was, he was a strong man. He was a tough man. He, he, was a, um, he told the truth, okay? He called things out as they should. And then I just go back to like verse 12, and it talks about this earlier in Revelation. His eyes were like a flame of fire. So whatever picture you have of your mind of Jesus, this docile creature that, like I said, that you have in your mind. He comes back, his hair's white, his eyes are like flames of fire, he has a sword coming out of his mouth to strike the nations down. I mean, that's a little bit, in a way, terrifying, even though I feel good about it because he's my Lord and Savior. But if you think he's this docile person now, what do you think, you're going to be real surprised when he comes back, you know? So was Jesus intolerant? Yes, he was. He was intolerant of sin and things that... uh, like in the temple, things that uh, did not glorify his father, okay? Did he ever get angry? Yes. Uh, you have a video there as an example. You can use that however you want. Um, maybe it didn't happen that way, but I don't really know how else you could you could make a video about this of uh, whipping, whip, made a whip of cords and drove them out, okay? So just keep that in mind. The second thing I want to point out, we talk about Jesus not being tolerant, not being this passive person that just went along with whatever and 
have peace, okay? We also have this common misconception that we're not supposed to judge each other, okay? And I want to read a, in Matthew 7, again, Coach Shelby kind of hit on this a little bit last week, and I wanted to, to go with it a little bit more because it really goes with what Jesus was all about moving into part three of this religious spirit series, okay? Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5, judge not that you not be judged. And that's usually where most Christians or so-called Christians stop. Verse 1, judge not that you be ju- that you be not judged. Okay? Okay, so we're not supposed to judge, right? Well, okay, as with any scripture, we're supposed to continue reading, right? Verse 2, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you used, it will be measured back to you. So in verse 2, it says you're going to be judged the same way that you judge. Okay, so it better be the right way. He's actually... If you stop in verse 1, it says don't judge, but verses 2 through 5, it actually says how to judge, that we should judge, and here's how to do it. Okay, so verse 2 again, for with what judgment you judge, you will also be judged, and with the measure you used, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your own brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly enough to remove the speck from your brother's eye. It doesn't say not to point out the speck in your brother's eye. It says to remove the plank from yours first before so you can help your brother with that speck in his eye. If you don't, if you take that as you read the first verse, don't judge, that's not what this is saying. This is saying don't judge lest you be judged, but here's how you judge. You make sure that you're in a, good, in a position to be able to. You have to deal with yourself first. Now, we all sin, we all have problems, but just like people nowadays, it's a cop-out in what they want to say, don't judge me, you're not supposed to judge. Did you know that people who say, "Don't ju- you're not supposed to judge, don't judge me, that in itself is judging. That in itself is a judgment. They're saying what, what should be in response to you judging them, okay? It's a self-defeating statement. Again, more apologetic stuff. Uh, from Dr. Frank Turk, but uh, just the two points I wanted to make. Jesus was was intolerant. Jesus got angry. Okay, that's kind of one point. And the other, judging. We we are supposed to judge in a way. We're just supposed to not be judgmental about it, being hypocrites about it. Okay, and that ties into today. So, <clears throat> sorry. In uh, starting in verse thirteen, Matthew twenty three, verse thirteen. And again, this starts with the woes, and we're only going to get through, hopefully, get through four woes today. Um, But the first woe, it says, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Okay, these Pharisees who've actually shunned God's righteousness themselves because they've ignored, you know, they took the original law and added to it and added to it and added to it to where it was their own version of the law. Okay, and they were seeking to establish a righteousness of their own and teaching others to do so as well. It's no different nowadays to what the prosperity gospel is. I would argue 90% of the church preaches in a certain way that is a sugar-coated gospel message. And that's why those who usually listen to this, um, we go, most of us go to U-turn, some of us don't. We don't get a sugar-coated gospel there. We get the truth, we get hellfire and brimstone. Here's what's gonna happen. We don't hide things. And that's, the Pharisees are, in a way, we're doing this by adding more to people, Okay. Uh, their legalism and self-righteousness effectively obscured the narrow gate by which the, le- the kingdom must be entered. They actually stopped people that were doing it Jesus' way 
and and stopped them from doing that and making them feel as though they were wrong. Okay, and calling out. And back then, they were not only the legal, or I'm sorry, the um, religious leaders, but they were also the legal leaders. Rome really gave them a lot of power back then, so they would they had a lot of pull to sway people to say you better not be doing it that way. Okay, and and a lot of people were scared to not to do it to go against them because, as you can see. Uh, what did society? What did society and the Pharisees do to Jesus? What did they end up doing to the disciples? Okay, so really goes with that. In Romans ten and three, uh, the Pharisees kind of do whatever they want. Uh, it says, "Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved." This is Paul speaking. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes, okay? So they were not willing to ever, obviously, ever uh, accept Jesus for who he was. They would rather do their own thing and keep their position, okay? And uh, here's another example. I really like this one I found in, in uh, 3 John chapter 1, verses 9 through 10. Um, this is, so this is after the Christian church had been established, and this is uh, uh, John uh, speaking to or sending this letter out to this church. And he says in verse 9, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who I assume Diotrephes was the preacher of this church, pastor of this church, who loves to have the preeminence among them does not receive us. This is coming from John, one of the apostles of Jesus. Diotrephes did not uh, receive John. And in verse 10, therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, praying against us with malicious words and not content with him that he himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to putting them out of the church. So not only did he deny John and those uh, apostles from entering his church, Diotrephes' church, he forbidden those and kicked those out who were trying to follow Jesus the right way, kicked them out. So this wasn't just a Pharisaic thing. This happened in the Christian church later in the, uh, toward the end of the first century. Okay, And like I said, how does that compare to today? Because we always try to trace this back to today. This is no different than the false preachers and prosperity gospel we have nowadays, okay? How many people just follow along a pastor, a church, just because that it makes them feel good? They have created a God of themselves and what they're okay with, what sin they're okay with, instead of being preached what is wrong and what they should repent of, okay? Uh, other examples of this would be people who oppose things that are in the Bible, like prophesying, miracles, uh, seeing visions, uh, healing, uh, tongues, for instance, okay? Um, not saying that this stuff has to happen, but... If it's there, why would you denounce it just because it's different for you? And the thing is, this stuff was written 2,000 years ago. It's not this stuff that has changed. It's uh, um, people, society that have changed. And Romans 12, 2 really talks about that a lot. Okay, um, Those who keep uh, people from going to certain churches because they say they're cultish. Have you ever been accused of going? I mean, I've been accused of going to a church that's cultish. So, that, oh, you go to the cult over there in Chico. Yeah, I do. Okay, I guess so. Uh, usually when you're getting uh, talked about things like that, you know, um, <laughs> you're doing something right, I guess. Okay, uh, another one that I wrote on here that I thought was interesting, I mean, because there's plenty of churches who have memberships uh, and they vote. You know, I just just think about this. They vote uh, a preacher out or they push a preacher out or things like that and they vote and nominate however they do it. Isn't the preacher supposed to be called by God to serve and to... Um, present the word at a certain place. Isn't that supposed to be God anointed or is it people anointed? Okay. And that's kind of 
this whole process here. Okay, so moving on, that's verse 13. Verse 14, um, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore, you will receive greater condemnation. Now, we talked about this a little bit um, the last time about the long prayers. And first, I'm going to deal with the, the widows' houses, okay? Um, these widows being left alone and no one could advise them uh, being weak. You know, uh, back then, that society, a lot of husbands, if they were to die, you know, the, the home broke down because the man was the one who dealt with society, the preachers, the, um, you know, uh, civilly. That They were the ones who did all that. And these people would pounce, these Pharisees pounced on these widows, orphans. You know, the Bible is very clear. It taught, and that's why Jesus and his principles really talked a lot about being there for orphans and widows because of things just like this, okay? So these Pharisees, they wormed these widows out of all their substance, stripped them bare of their necessities of life, prevailed on them to sell their homes and goods, uh, and got their estates in their hand, and then disposed of them, okay? they, You know, there's so many examples nowadays. Some of the things that I have that I looked up, um, you know, you can think about a sacrament. You know, well, we you need to, uh, sacraments like in the old Catholic Church, you need to give X amount of money and then your loved one that died, your husband that died, he'll he'll be in heaven. Uh, things like that that were very man-made, you know, and have nothing to do with the gospel. Okay, uh, in Second uh, Timothy three um, talks about the devourers today and even in end times. So we're talking again uh, the Christian church. Okay, but know this that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. Again, Coach Shelby hit a lot of this stuff last week. Unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasures rather than lovers of God. Verse 5, having a form of godliness but denying its power. This is the Pharisees in, in, in a nutshell. And from such people turn away. Okay, this is saying run for your life. Get away from these people. For of this sort, this is verse 6, for of this sort are those who creep into households and make captive of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always le uh, learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Okay, they they prey on these people, okay? And if you don't think that happens nowadays, just, you know, watch a watch a church on TV, and I'm not saying all of them, but some of them, send this much money, do this, and you'll be blessed. The, we have so much of that, and it's maybe not specifically to widows, but to people, these people prey on people, okay? Um, another example of like not of, of taking man, these man-made laws instead of what God's law is about the Corbin in Mark 7. Uh, it talks about, he said in verse 9, he says to them all too well, this is Jesus, uh, you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and he who curses his father and mother, let him be put to death. But you say, this is talking to the Pharisees, if a man says to his father and mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is Corbin. That is a gift to God. So back then they had this thing called Corbin. This is a Pharisaic thing, which if you gave money to the church, you didn't have to support your father or mother. And back then, obviously, if your father and mother got old, uh, you had you needed to take care of them. Who else was going to take care of them, right? Um, and this was the Pharisees' way of getting money into the temple, into the church, and denouncing a, a God one of God's laws and honoring your father and mother, one of the commandments, okay? In verse 12, then you no longer let him do anything for his father and his mother, making the word of God no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down and many such things you do. So Jesus is sitting here calling them out, 
saying you're doing your own law to supersede God's law. As instead of honoring your father and mother, you can call Corbin and say, well, I'm giving that money to the church. Okay, again, who in their right mind thinks that that's an okay thing to do? Just let your mother and father just wilt away, I guess. I don't know. Okay, the long prayers we talked about, and y'all have heard this verse before, so I'm going to go quick, but Matthew 5 and 6, you're supposed to pray in secret, not out in the open. Okay, these uh, Pharisees sometimes had prayers three hours in length. Uh, one of the notes that I read, they'd pray for an hour and take an hour of meditation and then pray for another hour, and it was always in a public place. It had to be out loud. Okay, and in verse 5 it says, And when you pray, you should not be like the hypocrites, okay, for they love to pray uh, standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to the Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Again, praying in public should not be an ornate deal where we're, we have uh, an established prayer. It should be inside, inner, inner. You're reaching with God, you're talking with God, you're communicating with God, and it doesn't need to be this exact science. It doesn't need to be open and in public. In fact, here he says, Jesus says, go into your room, into basically a closet, a secret place. Okay? Um, so, again, opposite of what the Pharisees were doing. Okay? Um, in Titus 1, uh, in verse 10, he talks about the responsibility of the elders to counter this injustice. There's supposed to be people that point this stuff out. Okay? In verse 10, for there are many insubordinates with idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, so the, the God's people, whose mouths must be stopped to subvert whole households, teaching things that they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. So how many times do preachers nowadays preach something that they know is wrong for dishonest gain, to make them money? Okay, One of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke these people sharply that they may sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but even their mind and conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. Okay, again, the sacraments, the, the sacraments of the Catholic Church. There's a reason the Protestant Reformation happened. That's one of the main things, okay? The TV, the prosperity gospel, the sugar-coated message, the send us money and you'll be blessed. Um, elders of the church are supposed to point this stuff out and too many go along with it. Uh, and like I said at the beginning of this, um, many insubordinates, those of the circumcision that are chosen, okay, whose mass must be stopped, subvert whole households, those widows, things like that, teaching things that they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. They're doing it to make money to keep people in the seats, okay? And the Pharisees are no different. They did the things they did to have their followers, to have the people that... And remember, they weren't just the religious leaders. They were the uh, the lawful leaders, the, um, the legal leaders as well. Rome basically deferred everything Jewish to them, okay? So they had a lot more power than they should have ever had, and they used it against people. Okay, and we, we have too many preachers nowadays that do the same thing and they hold it against people while not actually being who they're supposed to be. Okay, uh, in verse 15, Matthew 23 15, um, here is the, um, the third woe. Okay, so again, I'm trying to get through four woes today. Here's the third woe. 
Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel land and sea to win one proselyte, and when he is one, you make him twice as much the son of hell as yourselves. Okay? Again, going back, Jesus, this nice, docile man, never said anything bad. He just he calls them hypocrites and says, you're going to make these people twice as much a son of hell as yourself. Now, those who don't know, a proselyte is basically a Gentile convert to Judaism. Not like in Christianity. This was when it was just the Jewish temple before Jesus. And um, a proselyte was basically a, a Gentile who had converted over. The Pharisees gained them to swell their own numbers, uh, to make gain by extorting them under, under various pretenses. I know in some of the examples I read, they one, they gained these proselytes to say, hey, look, all these converts, all these numbers we're getting over here. But also they used these people, okay? And we're going to get into this in a minute with the twice as much as son of hell. But these the Pharisees would convert these people. And you've got to think about it this way. God has his way, his law. The Pharisees pervert that. So you're at this point here. And then they get these other converts. So these proselytes, all they know is learning from these Pharisees. And quite honestly, they see how they are. So they end up being that way. They get a little more corrupt. So now God's law has been corrupted so much now 2,000 years later where the gospel isn't even what it is. There's so many verses like uh, there's so many people that go to church that don't know that Jesus had a whip and was running people out of the temple. What, Jesus? You know what I mean? So that's something to think about when, when they're converting these people, right? In Hebrews 10, 24, it says, um, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. A lot of times these um, Pharisees, not only would they use these proselytes to do their dirty work or, or things like that, they wouldn't even teach them anything, just follow us and figure it out kind of deal. And in Hebrews 10, 24, it talks about we're supposed to teach, especially the new believers, okay? Um, after converting these guys, they took no pains to instruct them or to restrain them. They had renounced the superstition which had, which had somewhat restrained them, and the Pharisees had given them no religion to place in, in to restrain them. So Basically, they're taking the Gentiles here, converting them to Judaism, getting rid of their old religion, and not really explaining anything to them, just saying, oh, you're there. Because the Pharisees were not about teaching and, and converting in the sense of a new heart. They weren't worried about the people. They were worried about what helped them uh, gaining their numbers, okay, um, using them for criminal gain, things like that. The the They did the dirty work. They were the goons who went out and got taxes or... They went out and uh, took the widow's house. This is what those, these proselytes did, okay? And the, the Pharisees were not interested in helping them spiritually. They were interested in gaining their numbers and having more people basically on their side and their way of thinking, all right? In Hebrews 5.12, uh, it talks about helping the spirit, spiritually immature, and it says, uh, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God and you have come to need milk and not solid food. So, you know, and Paul talked about this a lot, um, drinking milk at the beginning and not jumping into preaching and not uh, trying to eat solid food right away. You're new at this, but you need someone to teach you. Okay, in verse 13, for everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are full, of, or full age, that is, by who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So it's a process, but these proselytes never got to experience the process. One, it would have been a faulty process by the Pharisees being their leaders. And two, if, if they had Christians doing it, you have to have a process of learning 
and teaching so that you can move from being a babe, as it says in verse 13, drinking only milk, to eating uh, full food, okay? Um, obviously, these all these woes, Jesus talks about the hypocrites, and obviously we know in, in a sense that a hypocrite is someone who says one thing and does another. Uh, you show the world one face and lives an entirely different life at home, okay? You think about how, okay, how does this whole segment, this whole woe you uh, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, how does this relate to nowadays, think about this. Uh, 75% of Christian kids, people who at least go to church uh, in high school, once they go to college, 75% of them fall away from the faith. Some turn into atheism, some fall away forever. Why do you think that is? Is it because, and I'm just going out on a limb here, and I can speak from experience as a parent, we try to teach our kids one, one thing. We teach them the scriptures, we show them this, but then they see an entirely different person at home. Okay, and we teach them, all right, and I'll, we'll go one way here. Obviously, we go to church, and we, it, those, I would say the 90 percenters, they go to church, they check off their box that they went to church on Sunday, go home and get drunk and uh, cheat and, and cuss and do all this stuff. So kids, are grow, if they grow up in that type of family, okay, well, what is church really about when they're still like this the other six days of the week? Sometimes that's Sunday. Okay, and then I'll take you the other side where, you're trying to teach them the right way, okay? But, uh, or I'm sorry, you, you're teaching them the same concepts because you don't really know and, and you're not preparing them for the attacks that they will face, okay? You're, you're, not, you're, sugar, you're, you're a good person and you're trying to do right by your kids, but you're sugarcoating everything because you're afraid to scare your kids. Like, hey, guess what? Um, I believe in a post-trib rapture you know, post-trib rapture, uh, we're all going to be here during the Antichrist, all this stuff. That's stuff scary to kids, okay? The stuff that you re that's really nitty-gritty is scary to kids, and we don't preach on that enough. Sometimes, you know, I remember growing up the Holy Spirit. I don't remember being taught about the Holy Spirit hardly at all. That's a pretty big aspect that you need to have. So we're going to church, and we mean well, but we're not preparing our kids for the attacks that they will face. And that's the whole point. You know, in Ephesians uh, 6, we talk about that. That's one of Coach for Christ's main scriptures that we live by is the armor of God. Uh, are we really preparing our kids to wear that armor and fight, or are we just kind of giving them the Sunday school message? Even if we're a good person, hey, you go to Sunday school, you got it. I'm not going to teach my kids anything else throughout the week and just, you know, I'll let God take care of it. Well, okay, well, there is a harvest, and we have to plow. We have to do the work, and our kids are our first ministry. So if you're not digging into them and putting this, this word into them, of course they're going to fall away when they have an, uh, an experienced atheist professor preaching at them about how God isn't real and they have all these facts and stuff. We have to prepare them for this stuff, okay? Uh, our kids are immature and we have to prepare them for this, okay? Why do you think 75% of kids leave the church that grew up in the church? I mean, think about that. What are we doing, really, as parents? Are we parenting them God's way or are we parenting them the world's way and hoping the Sunday school um, youth director gets it figured out for him, okay? Uh, in Romans 2, verse 1, um, God will judge hypocrites, especially those in the church, okay? Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, wherever you are to judge, for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself, for you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think, O man, you who judge these practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Here's the thing, okay? This is basically reiterating 
judge not or you'll be judged. And, and it is, you're supposed to judge. We're supposed to judge a certain way without being judgmental, but we're supposed to point out sin, okay? And we're going to be judged for the same thing. Do you not think, just imagine you're, you're a Pharisee here, okay? Uh, not, don't, don't look at, the, I'm sorry, let me, I'm going to explain it this way. You go to a regular church that, that preaches a sugar cut. You, you like going there and you never hear anything that convicts you, okay? If you go to a church, and Carter Conlon did a, a sermon about this. Pastor Kevin talked about this a little bit. I don't know that he ever, uh, I might have missed the Sunday that he tried to present it, but there's a, a, a sermon that Carter Conlon, he's a pastor, or used to be the senior pastor at Times Square Church in New York, and um, it's, a, it's titled Run for Your Life. If you go to a certain type of church that does this, 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 and this, like preaching sugar-coated message, uh, you never get convicted. You enjoy it there. Your kids just play video games, whatever the case may be. If you do all that, that is basically a Pharisaic church, okay? And you, that continues to go there without questioning anything, being concerned about Scripture, you are basically following along with it and becoming a proselyte, okay? And then you are raising your kids in the same process to become proselytes, and the more and more we do this, the more we get away from God's word, the true gospel, repentance, not being able to fix things on your own, okay? True repent, repentance and, and needing Jesus in your life, needing him like oxygen and not just as a pill we need every once in a while. If you're doing it that way, your kids are much better off and you're teaching them in a, in a way that is preparing them for the world, preparing them for those atheists, preparing them for the peer pressure, things like that. People fall away because we're not brought up in churches as a whole in America or the world because we've gotten so far away from the actual gospel and what it teaches because we don't want to teach certain things because they're scary or they're, mm, it's uncomfortable. You know, the book of Revelation is not taught a lot in the, in the modern church. Why? No one wants to read that stuff. Man, it's scary. No, that's not really going to, and that's where the pre-trib rapture comes about because it's it takes the pressure off me. Okay, we don't have to worry about that. We don't even have to teach Revelation because we're going to be taken out of there beforehand. Okay, Coach Shelby hit on that too last week, okay? There's nothing in the Bible that exemplifies that, all right? So think about if you're just following along in church. If you don't go to church and ever feel convicted like the pastor is talking to you and you got to fix your stuff, if you don't go to a church like that, you might need to start questioning what your pastor's giving you. Because if everything he says just makes you feel good and hope and blessings and all eternity and all that stuff, you have become indoctrinated in a Pharisaic religious type of place. You become a proselyte and you are raising proselytes, which makes them, according to the scripture, twice as much a son of hell. Okay, so are you raising, are you number one in good shape? Are you raising your kids right? Okay, if you're in a church like that and don't leave it, then you're a proselyte. Okay. Uh, and the scripture is very clear. I'll read it again. Verse 15, for you travel land and sea to win one proselyte, and when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourself. Well, you say, well, I'm not going out and telling people. You're, you have your kids, and if you're not telling people about your church, hey, you need to come to my church. You need to come here. If you're not doing that, why are you going to that church, number one? Two, if you are doing that and you're going to a wrong church, then you are adding these extra proselytes, and you're leading them down the wrong road as well, okay? Um, People that say that, you know, you're going to say, you know, I talked about a minute ago about the cult church. You go, oh, you go to the cult church. Yeah, I go to the cult church. I guess so. They speak in tongues. They believe in the Holy Spirit. It's a weird place. But you know what? I get the word there. 
we get the gospel there, and we get blood, uh, Jesus and him, him crucified, all right? The things that matter, and we hear the truth, and we get, I get, every Sunday I go, I get convicted every day. Man, I feel like trash most of the time, all right? But I'd rather feel like trash and, and work on that guilt than feel like I'm fine and then be surprised at the end because there's a reason why Jesus pointed out uh, in that scripture. It's in Matthew somewhere, um, Matthew 5 maybe or Matthew 7, you know, uh, depart from me, I never knew you. There are a lot of Christians in hell, so-called Christians in hell, that would claim that they're still a Christian and that they did things right, but they don't read their Bible. They're not immersed in it like you're supposed to be. They don't have that relationship, okay? Uh, moving on, because uh, I'm already kind of running a little bit. I'm going to combine the next four verses together because they kind of go together, uh, but this is the uh, the last woe that we're going to go over today. In Matthew 23, 16 through 19, it says, Woe to you blind guides who say, Whoever swears by the temple, it's nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? Again, this is Jesus talking. And whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing, but whoever swears by the gift that's on it, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater the gift on the altar or that, uh, or the altar that sanctifies the gift? Okay, now, verses 16, and this is, the reason I put these together is it's kind of similar. You basically have two different ideas here. You think about the temple and it having gold on it as a decorative um, cosmetic thing. And then you have the altar with the sacrificial, let's say, animal on the altar, okay? What the Pharisees had done in their own man-made laws is they said, basically, if you say something and swear by the temple, you don't really have to follow it. You don't really have to do it. Same thing with the altar, the temple and the altar. If you swear by those, it's okay. You know, kind of like I swear on my mom, whatever. You don't really have to do it. But they say if you swear on the gold of the temple or on the animal, per se, on the altar, then you have to do it. You are obliged to perform it, okay? And he says in verse 19, fools and blind, for which is greater the gift of the altar, uh, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift. And 17, for which is greater the gold or the temple that sanctifies it. Gold is just gold and an animal is just an animal. But when the animal becomes a sacrifice on the altar, it's now sanctified. When the gold is placed on the temple, it's now sanctified, okay? And the Pharisees had this so messed up that they twisted it around, okay? These were man-made distinctions that the Pharisees had made and gave them a self-righteous justification for lying without punishment. If someone swore by the temple, his oath was not considered binding, but by the gold, he could not break his word without being subject to the penalties of Jewish law. And they made people swear by the gold of the temple to get them crossed up and basically backed into a corner, okay? Um, and so they twisted this up for their own benefit. Malachi 2, verse 7, uh, it says, For the lips of a priest should keep knowledge, and people should seek the law from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have departed from the way. You have caused many to stumble at the law. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi. And here's another example of them corrupting that these priests you know, it says in the Bible the leaders are going to have a lot more to answer for when they get to get to their judgment, okay? And here's an example as why. Um, now, I'm going to read a couple here in a second about why we're not supposed to swear, but our Lord makes it very clear swearing by these things is, is swearing uh, to God himself, okay? To sanctify something is to make it holy. The gold, again, by, by itself was not holy, but it was holy because of the temple. Same thing with the uh, altar, um, in Exodus 30, verses 25, like what is holy, 
And you shall make, in verse 25, and you shall make from these a holy anointing oil, an ointment compounded according to the art of the perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil. With it you shall anoint the tabernacle of meeting and the ark of the testimony, the table and all its utensils, the lampstand and its utensils, and the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering, with all of its utensils and the labor of its base. You shall consecrate them, and they shall be made most holy. Whatever touches them must be holy. So here back in Exodus, the Mosaic law that they should have been following, the altar itself was holy because of the anointing oil, and then the animal that gets placed on it becomes holy, but not by itself. Okay, the altar is what's made holy. In Exodus 29, it says, Thus you shall do to Aaron and his sons according to all that have commanded you. Seven days you shall consecrate them, and you shall offer a bull every day as a sin offering for atonement. You shall cleanse the altar from when you make atonement for him, and you shall sanctify, uh, sanctify it. Seven days you shall make atonement for the altar and sanctify it, and the altar shall be most holy. Whatever touches the altar must be holy. So again, the Pharisees twisted these backwards, saying, basically deciding for themselves what was holy and what wasn't. And I just want to ask you, why would the Pharisees, in their mind, make the gold more holy than the temple and make the animal or the sacrifice, the incense, whatever, more holy than the altar? Could it be that where their mind was were on material things, okay, the gold, animals, incense, things like that, as opposed to what was made spiritual by God? Again, trying to twist what God wanted and what God designed with what they ended up believing. Okay, And this is after years of them twisting things creating new converts, and moving things around. Okay, nowadays, do we put so much, how does this compare? Okay, because we put so much emphasis on things nowadays that don't matter. All right, we worry about so many things that don't matter. I'm going to point out here that the Pharisees were the legal leaders of Israel as well. Remember, again, uh, the Ro Rome had uh, given them that power. How many laws are passed nowadays? Just think about this, just recently. Laws get passed nowadays about bathroom genders, about abortion, about things like that, or, or not abortion, I should say. Uh, bathroom gender rules. Uh, lately, with the protests, we they're they're not facing. Um, they're more worried about defunding the police and uh, police reform than dealing with criminals. Okay, and just like the Pharisees did, they worried about things materially, and they didn't worry about the heart of people. Okay. And that's where we are as a society. If you don't believe that, just look, turn on the news. Okay? Um, verses, to finish this up, verses 20. Uh, Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and by all things on it. Uh, Christ did not allow swearing in anything. Uh, in Matthew 5, it says, But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, or it's his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black, but let your yes be yes and your no be no. All right? Most of you have probably heard that before, um, but this is where Jesus is sitting here saying, we shouldn't have oaths anyway. Don't swear something, especially if you can't hold on to it, okay? Um, if a man did swear by anything, it would have to be the temple and the altar, not the gold or the animal that's on it. Okay, in verses 21 through 22 to finish up, he who swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it, God Almighty. And he who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. Okay, that is God. The temple was his house, his dwelling. Uh, in, the, in Solomon's temple, he dwelt between the cherubim and the most holy place. He manifested himself there. Now, obviously, he lives in us, the Holy Spirit. Uh, and then his throne in heaven, like I said in Matthew 5, is uh, the place where he sits in glory. Jesus says that all who swear 
at all do in fact swear to God if they do it this way. Um, and I, I just wanted to point this out in the ending. Uh, in Deuteronomy 23, verse 21, talks about vows to the Lord for those who we've all made mistakes in the past. You know, Jesus says we're not supposed to swear. We're supposed to say yes, yes or no. Um, and in, in verse 21, it says, when you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay to pay it, for the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and it would be sin to you. But if you abstain from making a vow, it shall not be a sin to you. That which has gone from your lips, you shall keep and perform, perform, for you voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. Okay? Uh, has anyone out there ever swore to God about something? God, if you do this, I swear I'll do this, da-da-da, and then not upheld it? I mean, reading verses like this, Deuteronomy 23, 21, uh, it's a good thing God is merciful because he's going to require it of us otherwise, okay? So thank God for his mercy, right? So uh kind of tells off a little bit at the end here to verse 22, that, that longer period, verses 16 through 22, talking about the temple and the altar. But it's just an example of what the Pharisees did to kind of twist it around, okay? Um so that's the that's this section for today. Next week we'll get into uh, part three, or I'm sorry, part four, the other three woes. Uh, and again, the the takeaway with this is not so much um, not so much the woes in themselves, but I do want to I, I do want to point out Jesus was very uh, bold and spoke the truth to plenty of people um, with regard to their sin, with regard to what. He saw as wrong. He was not tolerant of sin. He wasn't tolerant like he would be nowadays. People think nowadays he would just show up on earth and, oh, I love everyone. Jesus loves everyone. Da, da, da. He does love everyone, but he's not going to sit there because true love, and the Bible talks about this, God, God loves us, and if you love someone, you'll discipline. It's just like your kids. You discipline your kids because you love them. The Bible is very clear. If you don't discipline your kids, you don't love them. That's a proverb. I, don't, I think Proverbs 12 somewhere. Okay, uh, Jesus loves so much that he called this stuff out. And I want you to think about these religious spirits as we continue on here. And I know this went longer than I wanted to go. But these religious spirits was something that Jesus, you know, Jesus could call a demon out of somebody. But these religious spirits he could never get across. This is some serious stuff that is still around today. And it's rampant today. Okay, and I said this last week. You know, if Jesus were to come back today and preach the way he preached we would crucify him again because a majority of the church does not want to hear the truth of the gospel and the true message of Jesus. Um, so I hope, I hope you're getting something out of this. I know it ran a little bit long today, or I'm at 55 minutes right now. Uh, maybe you can break it up. But um, part four next week, and then hopefully it's going to probably be five whole parts for this message because I do want to get on to some other information. So um, God bless you. Love you. I hope you're doing well out there, and I hope you're being safe. Um, we will see you next week. And this is Coach Shaw with Coach for Christ.